Hey everybody, I'm Larry Little, and you're listening to Crossing the Line, a podcast where I talk with people about the moments in their life when they cross the line from leading with their head to leading with their heart. Today on the show, I'm having a conversation with serial entrepreneur Arlen Sorensen. Arlen is a CEO and founder of uh, multiple companies, actually, and he has an incredible story of how he came from a farm in Iowa to really to lead companies on the cutting edge of technology. He's got a great story, but he really has more than that. So I want you to listen in today because he peppers this podcast with a ton of leadership nuggets that are really, really they're going to help you. Uh, it's going to be good stuff. So I want you to, to listen to it. I know it'll help you. Let's jump into the conversation with Arlen Sorensen, serial entrepreneur, right now. Well, this is something that I've been looking forward to. You know, there are people in your life that you look up to. There are people that that you want to be like. And when I was just a young child, I used to sit on Arlen's lap and he would tell me stories. And uh, <laughs> now my dear friend, Arlen Sorensen, we think a lot alike. I love him so much. I love watching his life. I love reading about his life through his blogging. And it is truly an honor, Arlen, to have you on this podcast today. Thank you for being on Crossing the Line with us. It's great to be with you, Larry, and uh, I do appreciate the opportunity to spend time with you every time I get it. Well, this is going to be a fun time. We, we want to talk about you, Arlen, because uh, obviously, as we talked about in the intro, you've accomplished so much, and uh, and that's because of your leadership and, and intellect and all kinds of things. But today, I want to I want to talk about you. I want to talk about Arlen, the man, and what made you who you are today. And I'm very excited about that because I think it's going to be some really good nuggets for for those listening to take away. Um, and I, so let's jump in and kind of, Arlen, go back with me. Let's go back to your home. Talk to us. Who is Arlen as a child? A day in the life of Arlen Sorensen as a, as a child, a six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old. Walk us through what that was like. Well, Larry, I, I grew up uh, on the farm here in uh, southwest Iowa, family farm, been in the uh, family for a few generations. And, uh, you know, it was our family of, of uh, six, mom and dad, and I had three siblings. I was the oldest. Uh, and so, of course, I was the one that always got blamed for everything. Uh, fingers always pointed at me. So I got my share of uh, spankings. It was good to spank in those days. Maybe not as much today. Uh, but the reality was that, uh, you know, it was a Christian home. Uh, my folks were very, uh, very dedicated to our local church. So if the church doors were open, we were there. So that was definitely part of my growing up experience. Uh, both my grandparents were very close uh, within a few miles. So we got to spend a lot of time with our grandparents. And, you know, we looked forward to that uh, opportunity. My mom's uh, dad was often on the farm doing uh, the honeydew things that my dad didn't have time to do. So I got to spend a lot of time just walking around with him and and being his little assistant uh, when he was helping mom get some things done. And uh, every Friday night, we'd go to my, my dad's uh, parents and we'd play Rook. Um, and, uh, you know, so I learned how to play play some cards as, as a kid. And uh, we had a great time together, uh, you know, every week with, with grandparents. So, you know, life was full of family. That was really, really it. Uh, you know, we, we marvel today at how often my wife and I will run to Omaha. Uh, back in the day when I was a kid, 
we went to Omaha twice a year. Once wow. in the summer when we sold cattle and once for Christmas. But other than that, <laughs> Omaha was just a city way out there. And today we'll run down just to have a meal, you know. So it's the times have changed, but uh, those early days were very important and family was the foundation. Mm. And as a as a young child, you had the the opportunity to be exposed to grandparents. So that extended family is something that's pretty rare today too, I think. Well, it wasn't just grandparents, Larry. Most of my cousins lived here too. Uh-huh. So my, my dad's family, uh, he had, he had six siblings and most of them were close. And so every holiday, I mean, we had large gatherings of, of uh, the family and, and there'd be 50, 60, 70 of us together. Uh, for the for the Labor Day, Memorial Day, you know, Thanksgiving holiday stuff. So uh, lots and lots of extended family as well. Wow. And and Arlen, what it would be would it be like? You're you're a child. You're you're going out. Let's say you know you wake up in the morning. It's a summer day. What is that like for you as a child growing up in on the farm? So. Uh, we always had chores that we were responsible for. So that was always a part of it. Uh, I actually was really into baseball as a, as a youngster uh, watching, watching baseball or, or keeping up with the, the St. Louis Cardinals and the Kansas city Royals. Um, and one of the things I would do during the day when mom would tell me to go outside and get out of her hair, uh, I would throw, throw a tennis ball against the house and, and play by play a game basically where I was the, uh, wow. I was the announcer, the pitcher, the hitter, all those things. But, uh, that was, that was how I spent a lot of hours, uh, during the summer months was throwing a ball up against the house and catching it or dropping it or whatever the case might be. And I kept score. I had a score pad that I would inning by inning keep track of. It was it was pretty uh, pretty detailed stuff. Now I know you might be thinking, man, that's old school throwing a tennis ball uh, up against the the wall of the house. But I want you to think about that for a minute. He needed something to do. He invented this game of baseball that he could play. He was innovative. He kept he kept track of it. He had score pads. He 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 really created something that would occupy his time, and uh, that's really what entrepreneurs do. They invent. They're innovative. They create. That's that's. I think that's where we get the first glimpse of Arlen's uh, entrepreneurial journey. Wow. Once I started to wear the paint off the side of the house, dad got me one of those nets you throw it into. And uh, that, that was a little better. Uh, so, so you loved baseball so much. So you created games that that's innovation. I mean, that, that, you know, we see that now, even later in your life where that started. I mean, at least, at least the very first kind of remnants of, Hey, let's make up a game. Let's keep score. Let's have a pad. Let's do the whole thing. Um, wow. That, that says a lot about you already. What, what happened though, as you grew up a little bit, you're now you're in your teenage years. Talk to us about being a teenager in your home. Well, so as a young kid, I, I was very, very bashful, very reserved. Uh, mom, mom always told the story of the first day I had to go to school and literally they had to push me onto the bus. Uh, I was not going, but, uh, I did. And, uh, you know, so as I grew up, I, I kind of got over some of that. And when I got to the high school years, I was involved in everything that you could basically be involved in. Um, 
in the in school. And so, you know, from being involved in musicals to uh, I was a trainer for the sports teams to, um, you know, some of the National Honor Society and some of the academic stuff. I was I was pretty much gone every day in my high school career from early in the morning until in the evening. And, uh, you know, it, it was a great period of my life. I, 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 I enjoyed it a lot. We had some great uh, teams that I was a part of, uh, state basketball qualifiers for, for three years that I was part of, uh, as a trainer and just some, wow. some great experiences and some, you know, great teachers that really helped shape my life and some coaches that really helped guide uh, my direction as well. Well, I'll have to ask your love for baseball. Were you involved in baseball in high school at all? I was not. Uh, you know, it's 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 interesting that the I did I did start playing baseball as a as a uh, kid, and you know, my folks decided that making the the constant trips back and forth to town didn't fit into the agenda. Um, you know, dad, dad had his hands full with the farm mm -hmm. and mom was necessary to help as part of that. Uh, they were doing it together. And so, uh, it became an issue of, I couldn't, I couldn't get there. Uh, and so baseball really didn't become a part of, of my life, uh, other than, you know, the fantasy stuff that I did in my own brain. So, right. That, that you love go back to, to your, your time you said with the with the team and the basketball team and as a trainer and the things you've learned, think about two or three things if you can. What did you learn from your coaches or your mentors or even as you did the musicals and the teachers that spoke into your life as a teenager? What are some takeaways in your life from that time? You know, the the thing that I as I look back that impacted me the most was was their confidence and and trust in me. Um, you know, when, when I was a a, a freshman. Uh, the, the varsity basketball coach came to me after the season and, and uh, said, I'd like you to, I'd like you to join the varsity team as our trainer. Okay. I was a ninth grade kid and uh, I looked up to those kids, but I was pretty much scared to death of those guys. But uh, you know, he convinced me uh, they had me go through, through some training and, and uh, in my sophomore year, we went to the state tournament and uh we had a really, really good team. It was a tough, tough year in terms of the competition, but he asked me to stay in the room with the three stars of the team. And he said, your job is to keep them out of trouble. Um, and so he coached me and he said, when you get in the room, we have a curfew of 10 o'clock. We'll get them all in the room. It's your job to keep them in the room. And the way I would suggest you do that is to put the put your bed in front of the door so they cannot get out. And uh, I was not a popular guy, but I knew, I knew who was in charge and it was the coach. And so I did that. I kept them, I kept wow. them in the room and uh, we had, a, we had a great tournament. We, we lost a very close game, but uh, you know, that, that trust they put in me, they also asked me that year to, to report the scores at the end of the night to all the radio stations. And, uh, that, that was to me, that was a big trust thing because, you know, as a sophomore kid in high school, I could have screwed that up pretty easily. Uh, mm. but, but things like that really get, you know, gave me confidence that, you know, I was capable of doing things that, uh, that maybe I had never considered before. 
And, uh, you know, it helped me to be willing to take steps and to do more and, and to push further. So now at this stage of your life, you're in high school, you're, you're learning these, these moments, these leadership moments, if you will, you have had them, you're learning from them. You're, you're beginning to think, Hey, I can, I can do more than maybe I even thought is, you know, people are putting trust in me. So what's going on with you? Are you dating anybody at this time? Are you, are you not what's happening there? No, I was, I was not, uh, I did not, I had one date when I was in high school and that was for my senior prom. Um, but I, I wasn't interested in dating. Uh, you know, I had friends, uh, you know, that were of the opposite sex, but I, I was too busy. I was too busy, quite frankly, to have time for that. And, um, so between, you know, trying to keep up with all the things at school and help out at home, uh, it was just a, it was a very full yeah. schedule. So not, not enough time for that, nope, for that nope. kind of thing. I love I it. I did learn it later though. <laughs> well, let's talk about that. Let's go on. Now you're, you graduated. What happens when you graduate? What did you do? So, uh, when I graduated, I, I went to Iowa state, uh, and enrolled as, uh, somebody taking farm operations. My intent was to get a degree. Uh, I actually went to, went and signed up as a two-year degree. Iowa state had a two-year degree and, uh, went up and, and, uh, was going to come back and farm with dad. And that was, that was going to be my future. Um, and so I went up to school and, uh, you know, I got, I got involved with, uh, the Baptist student union, which was a, a ministry for, for college kids. And, uh, that really changed my life, uh, significantly. You know, I, I, I had become a Christian when I was a, a, a teenager, and was baptized and part of the church. But, you know, like a lot of high school kids, it really didn't grasp me. Uh, I didn't grasp it, maybe. Uh, and it wasn't until I got to college and I was off on my own and, you know, a little lonely at first, looking for some fellowship and friendship. And and uh, one of the kids I knew that was a few years ahead of me from, from Harlan invited me to go with him to a, a, a meeting, and I did. And you know, I had a great time. So actually, um, I met my my now wife Nancy that evening on a hayride. Uh, wow. So she was she was a junior at Iowa State, and uh, you know she uh, she threw threw hay at me and other things, and and uh, you know <laughs> treated me like a little freshman like I was. But uh, that was really when I figured out that you know I needed to maybe get interested in in somebody for the future took me a couple years to really get around to getting it done but um <laughs> I, I met her early on in my iowa state career and, and uh you know that was one of the many blessings god gave me while i was there that's beautiful now who were so, you who were you there at iowa state who Tell were i yeah i was i was all in uh you know both educationally but primarily from a ministry perspective so mm. You know, um, one of the things that that BSU did was it, it had a leadership group that met every more, uh, you know, in the mornings at 6 a.m., which for a college kid uh, was I was used to getting up early. Uh, my roommates, not so much. So uh, they weren't that appreciative of me getting up and going to meetings at 6 a.m. But, you know, that helped shape my leadership, uh, you know, the the 
the reality that leaders have to, they have to lead. They got to, they got to get up. They got to get going. They got to have a plan. They got to execute. Um, but you know, they've got to be willing to lead and uh, that that's not always easy. It's not always convenient, but it's always important. And, uh, so, you know, I worked, uh, I worked for, uh, with Jack Owens, who was uh, the director there and he poured himself into me one-on-one, uh, weekly, um, and really, really not only taught me scripture, but taught me how to be a, a husband and a father. Uh, another example of that, that I could cling to as I, uh, as I grew, mm. um, you know, I, I got to the end of my second year, Larry, and, and, uh, decided I was going to go ahead and, and go for the four-year degree. Um, the reason I had signed up for the two-year degree and originally was that you got to skip finals when you finished your degree, right? So I was going to skip finals at two years and then skip them again at four years, Always thinking ahead. <laughs> Always thinking. <laughs> but but uh, I decided to go ahead and, and enroll for the next two year uh, to get the four year degree. And that summer, um, you know, I, I got through that third year, and a neighbor reached out and offered to rent their farm to me, and. Uh, I still had a year of college left and he said, well, I'm, I've got to have a renter for next March to start the next season. Do you want it? And it was like, okay, I, I've, I've only got three years under, or I've only got two years under my belt. Um, how am I going to possibly get this four year degree done and be able to be back on the farm March 1st? So I, I called the, my advisor and uh, he said, you know what, if you'll come to this, to uh, the summer sessions, I can craft a schedule where you can take the last two years of your uh, degree in nine months. Wow. And so that's what we did. Uh, you know, I, 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 uh, I called Jack, the guy that was mentoring me uh, as the BSU director and said, hey, I'm, I'm coming to town. I'm going to school starting tomorrow. I need a place to stay. Uh, he said, we got a bedroom. You can stay with us. And so I did that during the summer. Iowa State was on a quarter system back in those days. And so uh, I was able to take two summer quarters and then a fall and a winter quarter. So I had four quarters to do two years of school. But from that point, I was able to do the complete degree and really finish college in two and two and three quarters years. It seems like I say this every time we talk to a great leader, and, and perhaps I do. But here's that pattern of hard work. Arlen was willing to go after the hard thing. His work ethic had to be amazing at that age to finish uh, the second two years of school in nine months. Another example of the importance of hard work. Oh, my God. Goodness. Now, so what was that nine months like? I have to ask you were, you were just head down. There, there was no social life there. Right. I mean, oh, there was, I mean, it was the, it was the evenings. I mean, I was in class from eight o'clock in the morning till five o'clock at night, Okay. And, uh, okay. but I was still very active, you know, in the evenings with, with BSU and other things. Um, wow. you know, I, to be honest, God bless me with the ability to, to take tests. Well, uh, I, I'm not sure I learned a whole lot in those nine months, 
But, uh, you know, I, I ended with a, a decent grade point and, uh, you know, I had, I had a goal, right. I had to be done to be home to get this farm that I never would have dreamed I would be able to, to start farming on. And, uh, you know, God gave me that opportunity and it was up to me to walk through the door and take advantage of it. I love that. I had a goal, even as, as a college student, you saw this goal, this farm that you wanted. So you, you worked hard to make it happen. You know, there's a recurring pattern I see as I talk to leaders, um, wherever, wherever they are across the world, really. And that is every one of these men and women know what a strong work ethic looks like. I can't imagine what you had to go through, you know, to, to be able to, to get not two, two years into nine months, your last two years of school into nine months. I mean, that's just, that's just pure hard work, right? Yeah. It was discipline. You know, it was, it was saying no to things that I would have liked to say yes to, but I knew I couldn't do if I was going to actually achieve the goal, mm-hmm. you know, and the, the other, the other motivating thing was that right before uh, I made that decision, I had asked Nancy to marry me. So I had that to look forward to as well. So, you know, wow. it's kind of a double double uh, goal thing that was driving me forward. And, you know, when you're driven, you can accomplish a lot. Um, and, and so setting those goals is so important that you can stay the course and, and really get after it and make it happen. Now, Arlen, I know Nancy, and I know that you, you did have a goal. You had more than a goal. You had a treasure there because you, like I, uh, boy, somehow talked somebody into marrying you that was way above your pay grade. Am I right? Absolutely. I <laughs> way out kicked my coverage on this one. <laughs> so did you do it? So did you go to the farm? Did you start farming? You and Nancy now, you got married and you started the farm or what happened? Yeah, I graduated in uh, February of uh, 77 and uh, we got married that summer. So I came back and started farming and uh, you know, we were, I worked with my dad. He had, he had the farms he was farming and I had, I had this little 300 acre farm that, that we started on, uh, and planted our first crop, uh, that year. And, uh, it was a drought year. And so, uh, oh, wow. when I got, to, when I got to the harvest, uh, my corn yielded seven bushel to the acre and uh, my beans were uh, right at 20 bushel to the acre. And, the, the lesson I learned uh, from that year, Larry, uh, that would have been the shortest farming career in history had it not been for my banker's insistence that I buy crop insurance. Wow. My dad never bought crop insurance his entire career. He said, you, you just got to play the odds, put some money aside. You know what's going to happen at some point, but you can prepare for it. Well, I, I, I had no money, so there was no preparation for this. And my banker said, you will buy crop insurance or I won't fund you. Wow. Um, and he saved, he saved my future, right, in terms yeah. of that. Um, but I learned the importance of listening to, to quality resources and surrounding yourself with people you can trust. Um, and, and I've done that my entire career because those people – will save you from a lot of pain and heartache and uh, you've got to be willing to listen. But, uh, you know, that, that year would have been a complete disaster, uh, had I not had insurance to, to get us through. Well, there's, there's a leadership lesson right there, isn't it? I mean, listen to those who have been there, take their advice, be humble enough to take their wisdom. And you did. So, so now you're farming, 
I guess you've, have you started your family at this season of your life and with, with Nancy, how did you move from, from farming to that next season? So, uh, yeah, we started farming, um, you know, we had Peter and Lori a few years later uh, in the early eighties. And, uh, you know, I was still working with my dad and my brother just returned uh, from school and it was 1982. And, uh, I had a friend that was a teacher in our local school. And, and uh, when I was in school, we had one computer and it really, it was a punch card thing. It was, it was, it wasn't very good, but I still love, I loved it. Um, but, but the local school bought some Apple II computers and uh, this teacher friend of mine invited me to come up and take a look. And uh, so I did, I went in after school and I just, I fell in love with that little machine. And uh, I said, you know, this is the future of agriculture. We get, we got to have, we got to have this to keep, keep track of our accounting. Uh, And I was part of a uh, Iowa farm business association, which was a group of farmers that had consultants that would come and analyze our data and all that kind of stuff. And it was all done longhand. I said, how beautiful would it be if I had all this on a computer? And uh, so they, they had a program that they made available and, I bought my first Apple II Plus, and I convinced <laughs> Nancy that, you know, we need this thing to run this farm, this little 300-acre farm. Uh, wasn't really the case, but it was a lot of fun. And, uh, mm. you know, I'll never forget. I still have the machine in the basement here in my little museum, but wow. uh, it was $4,000, uh, which was a whole lot of money for me at that point in time. Yes. Um, but I, I managed to... Uh, tell the story well and convince her that it was a good investment. And uh, we bought that machine and and over the next few years, you know, uh, did some educational stuff with the kids to help validate the need and all those things. Uh, But, you know, basically it would add and subtract and multiply and divide and and add stuff up so I could keep my farm accounting on it. Um, A lot of neighbors would, would, hear about it or we'd talk about it and they'd want to come over and look at it and they'd say hey can you can you help us get one of these and we had to drive into Omaha to get it because there was nobody locally that that sold them and I would take two or three guys at a time down and and we'd go to the the Apple uh, dealer down there and load them up and put them in the trunk and bring them back wow. and I'd wow. spend the next few days helping them set up their computers and teaching them how to use them a little bit Well, here's another leadership trait. It's curiosity. Arlen loved computers. He was curious about them. But not only that, he created curiosity for other leaders who saw him using those. And he taught them and and he actually took them uh, to to buy the computers back in the day. Curiosity, uh, a great trait of any leader. You know, after a couple of years of doing that, um, you know, Nancy said, maybe, maybe we should start a little business. Um, you know, and, and so I, I started a hobby business with the intent of at least making enough money to pay for my own addiction to technology. Because by then I had bought a couple of more machines and I had to keep up with the upgrades and uh, we were up to an Apple IIe and then an Apple II GS and, uh, it was getting expensive. So, the little hobby business was supposed to fund that. Uh, it, it quickly became a lot more than a little hobby business. And, uh, you know, during the last half of the 80s, uh, I began to spend more and more time 
doing technology. And when we got to 1990, uh, dad and my brother, Brad, and I had a meeting and, and I said, you know, I think, I think this could become a real business. Um, I can't farm and do this at the same time. So I think it's, I need to take the technology route and Brad, you can take the, the farming route with my dad and we'll do all this 50, 50. So there's none of this, you're working harder than I'm working nonsense. And, and that was probably one of the most important decisions we ever made was my brother and I did everything 50, 50. Really? All the businesses we, we have done over the years, we have jointly owned those together. And, uh, that, that prevents all kinds of questions and concerns and, you know, all the stuff I see in family businesses that blow up, it's usually over, well, you're taking more vacation than me or you're working harder than me, not working as hard as me or whatever the case might be. That kind of just leveled the playing field. So if it was good for him, it was good for me and vice versa. And uh, so that's how we did all those things. But in, in 90, we started... We started a real business, incorporated it. I hired an employee. That's where you really cross the line when you hire somebody. Yeah. It goes from, you know, well, if nothing works out today, it'll be okay to something's got to work out today because I got to, I got to feed this person mm-hmm. and uh, I'm now responsible. And so we, we uh, started doing classes. That was what I hired uh, her to do was to teach classes and every evening, Monday through Thursday, we would have a class in, in the evening from 6 to 10. She taught two nights a week. I taught two nights a week. And that was my whole marketing plan. If I could get them to come to a class, they would buy a computer. And so we had, uh, we had 18 workstations set up, which would typically be nine couples because they would both want to take the class. And uh, I would sell nine computers while we were in that eight-week series. And then over the next eight weeks, I'd install those while we were teaching the next class. And it was, it was a very effective method of, of selling because people had not ever touched a computer before. And um, so it was, it was a lot of fun. Now, I have to ask, were, were people coming that were just interested in the farming, agricultural kind of computer process? Or were people coming because you had... Apple computers and they wanted to learn how to use them. A lot of them were coming uh, because of the farming stuff. So we had, we had, you know, specific farm accounting systems and, and other farm tools. But as time went by, more and more people in the general public would begin to come. And we made the shift from Apple to the IBM side um, in the early nineties because Apple became difficult to work with um, and the IBM clones began to come out, which were much cheaper. So that $4,000 machine I, I bought back in, in uh, 82, we were selling a, a much more powerful machine for $2,000 in the early 90s. So right. the technology was half as expensive, but far more powerful. Um, and, and that's the story of technology in general, right? It always gets better and would, cheaper. That, that's right. Well, and and always probably, you know, we add to that and need somebody to help us to understand how to use the advancements, you know, <laughs> to, exactly. as, as technology changes. How, how, when, I have to ask this question, though, because you're an entrepreneur, um, you know, you're just amazing entrepreneur, um, but you have that entrepreneurial spirit. How, when did you know that? When did you, was it when you met with your dad and said, hey, 
I think I can do this. When did that bug hit you that you knew you had something? Well, my dad was a, was a entrepreneur. Uh, maybe an inventor is a better word for him because he didn't start any other businesses, but he create, he was always creating and building things. Um, and so I, I really caught it from him, I think, but you know, when, when we started to talk about, so I moved, they moved off the farm in, in 1985 and Nancy and I moved back to the farm and, uh, we built a small addition onto the house for me to have an office um, which, which was unheard of in those days to have a farm office, but I, I, I needed a place for my stuff, right? I had a computer and some other stuff, so I had to have space. Um, but when we decided in 1990 to start a, a real company, uh, you know, I was talking to my dad about, you know, we're going to have to have some space here to, to do this thing. And, uh, I woke up the next morning and he was, he had the skid loader and was digging, footings for the expansion he was going to build on the end of the house. Um, That's the way, that's the way dad was, right? I mean, he, he, he supported the entrepreneurial spirit to the max. Oh yes. And over, over the next years, we, we have five additions on the end of my house right now that are about 12,000 square feet of office space in the middle of a cornfield in Iowa. Um, but you know, he drove all those, those additions to the house because he wanted to see us succeed as entrepreneurs. And, uh, so that was always his, his desire was to support the entrepreneurial spirit. And, um, you know, I've, I've had a bunch of crazy ones that didn't work and I've had some other ones that did work. Um, and I'm still a serial entrepreneur that, that doesn't know when to stop, but you know, it's just part of my nature and how I think, um, and, you know, having a willing, you know, funding source, number one, but willing to do a lot of the work. Number two enabled me to focus on the business while he did a lot of the things that to enable the support to make it happen. Yeah. And you've not been afraid to take those risks. I think that you have embraced that. You, you have done an amazing, amazing job of identifying opportunities and, and taking advantage of those opportunities. Talk to us a little bit. We're going to turn the corner here in, in just a few minutes. We, unfortunately, we got to wrap this up, but I, but I want, to, want to keep you with us for just a few more minutes. So you started out teaching classes. Love that piece of it. Kind of walk us through now a timeline, if you will, of the entrepreneurial you know journey that you took to to get to where you are today. Just kind of take us through from a thirty thousand foot view uh, the Arlen the Arlen legacy of entrepreneurship. So the big the first big step happened in nineteen ninety five when Microsoft released Windows ninety five and turned the computer into not something you really had to understand, but could just use a, a mouse to drive. And uh, we grew that year. I had grown from, from my first employee to my fifth employee before the Windows 95 release. We went from five to 13 that year. And to talk about chaos, it was more than chaos. I had no process, no policy. Not, I had nothing written down because the five of us could just, you know, we could talk. Um, when you got 13, not so much. Um, and so chaos reigned, we had to put systems in place. We had to really begin to become a a company that was on a road to maturity. And over the the last half of the decade, we got up to uh, 36 people 
Y2K was coming, Larry. Y2K was going to be the greatest event in the history of technology. And it completely missed Iowa. I mean, completely missed Iowa. And uh, so when we got into the second quarter of 2000, we were bleeding cash bad. And uh, things were things were really tough. And uh, one of my, 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 my leaders said, we need to talk to somebody and figure out what's going on because we're, we're just not seeing anything related to Y2K. And we had all these extra people on our payroll that had no work. And uh, so that's where the HTG peer groups came from. We called three other companies around the state and said, would you, would you meet with us and just talk about what you're seeing? And uh, so we met in Des Moines for, for a day and compared notes, found out, it wasn't just us. It was, there was no Y2K in Iowa anywhere. And what that told us was we have to downsize. I mean, we cannot possibly maintain uh, the, the number of people we have today because we just don't have that kind of work. And so we went from 25 back down to, or 36 back down to 25. One of the most painful lessons of my life, um, mm-hmm. having to let that many people go, you know, no fault of their own, just a misjudgment on my part in terms of what the opportunity was going to be. Um, so HTG began to grow then as, as uh, we continued to grow the IT company. And uh, I had two businesses that I was trying to manage and we were doing M&A and growing rapidly on the IT side. And HTG exploded in 2007. Uh, we had three groups. All of a sudden we had 10, then we had 20, then we had 26. And uh, I didn't have a strategy or a plan for how we were going to take care of those. So originally I asked my own leadership team to all be facilitators and they were all facilitating a couple of groups. And in 2008, Scott Scroggin, who was the newest of the leadership team, got through the short straw and had to come and say, we can't do this anymore. We can't facilitate all these groups and run a company mm. at the same time. And, uh, you know, he was right. And uh, I knew that, but, you know, as an entrepreneur and a cheapskate, I was trying to maximize <laughs> the output. One of the great things about Arlen, and it's true with any great leader, is his willingness to be authentic, to say, hey, you know, I blew this. My judgment was wrong here. They had to come to me on this issue, and and they were right. That self-awareness is absolutely critical to the success of any leader, I think. We shifted models in. We got our act together. We put a plan in place, and uh, Scott took over running HTG, which was a blessing, and uh, I was able to focus more and do the right things in terms of growing the businesses. Was that difficult for you, Arlen, as, as an entrepreneur who has hands-on all your life, you built, you work, like you said, you, you know, you, you did this. Now they're asking you to take a step back and let somebody else run what you have birthed. Was that difficult? It, it was in some ways, but you know, what, what I did was what I always do is I start some other things, right? Right. Um, you know, during that time, I had started HTS Ag, which is our precision technology business focused on agriculture. And I was trying to bring that along. And, you know, I had a few other failures that I tried uh, along that journey. So I was always busy, but I did learn that my my 
value is not managing things long-term. My value is creating and building things. And uh, as long as, as I stay in my lane, I can do, I can do well. Uh, when mm. I try to maintain things over time, it doesn't go well. Mm. I don't do details. I'm mm. not, I'm not very effective in, in, uh, you know, communicating at the level that needs to happen. Uh, but I can start things all day, every day. And uh, I've got more ideas than I should have. <laughs> yeah. I resemble that. I kind of understand I'm sure it. Sure you do. <laughs> so uh, long story short, you started that, that new approach of leadership. Where did it, where did it land you? Where, where are you now? Talk us through that. Well, so over the, over the last uh, 10 or 12 years, we've, we've sold the IT company and we've sold the peer group organization. Um, and, and, uh, I still have the precision tech business and we've started a few other things that are, that are in the works, um, that we're doing. And I, I work, uh, as VP of ecosystem evangelism at ConnectWise, So that's my day job today. So in 2018, when we sold the company to ConnectWise, I got my first boss ever. Uh, so I, I did my own thing for 40 some years. And then all of a sudden I've got a boss. It's been a it's been a transition, right? Uh, I'm not used to asking people <laughs> if I can do certain things, but it's actually been good. It's been good. it's been good. I don't have a lot of the weight on my shoulders that I did when I was the entrepreneurial leader, uh, and so I've got more more freedom in a lot of ways than I ever had as a as a entrepreneur. It's really interesting, Arlen, that through this whole process of having an IT company, starting peer groups your influence continues to grow um, partly because of your failure and your authenticity about that. And, and a lot because of you, you, do, you know how to do things right as well and, and the things you've accomplished. But even though you have a boss, I think the persona, the perception is of those that are still in these peer groups and still have access to you. Uh, I think your influence carries on to this day. It's amazing to me that you have built that through, through your authenticity and your honesty, as we've heard, I want to ask you uh, just a, something to think about to help us as we as we close this time. And it's so rich, and uh, it's been so good. And thank you for sharing your life with us and your legacy. I want to I want to ask you if if I'm a, an aspiring young leader and I'm out there where you were in in, in college and maybe out of college, and and I'm trying to to I'm leading either in a company or I'm trying to start my own. What do I need to know to lead well? What are the things from your experience in your life that you could share with these aspiring young leaders who may be listening to this podcast? Well, I think the most important thing, Larry, is that it's not about you. Mm. It's about the people that you lead. It's about the people you serve. And that's how I have always viewed leadership is, is not a place of power or position. It's a place of service. And the focus has to be on relationships. You know, if there's one thing that I would look back in my career and say is the most important thing that happened, it was the people I surrounded myself with. And uh, that's what led to success. It wasn't because I was a genius leader. It was because I could pick people that were the right, you know, compliment to me and uh, had strengths where I didn't have. And we're able to surround myself with that kind of folks. So it's, it's all about, it's about realizing you're not the center of the universe. 
the people around you are the key to making things happen. And then it's about the relationships you build with those that you serve. And, uh, you know, if you can keep that focus and not let it go to your head, uh, you know, success can be a great thing or it can really take you off course. And I had a period of time where I, I read my own press and it was bad. <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't have been reading it because it took me in the ditch. And, uh, you know, it took me a little while to figure out that it wasn't about me at all. Mm. It was about the people around me. And, uh, you know, you pick the right people, you pick the right spouse, you, you get the right people around you and, and you, you can do whatever you want to do. What great wisdom. Uh, it's so important, Arlen, to, to understand those truths that you have just talked about, a place of service and pulling people around you. Uh, I noticed you, you didn't say one thing about um, the task or competency or intellect. I know those are important, but not nearly as important as these truths that you've just given us today about relationship and pulling people around you and, and serving others. Thank you. You are a servant leader. You're amazing leader, uh, amazing man. Um, I'm so thankful for your legacy and for the lives that you have forever impacted. And, uh, and I mean that, uh, so thank you for what you do. Thank you for who you are. Uh, it's been a joy to, to hang out with you today. It's been a lot of fun and I hope we have some more fun ahead of us. I, I, you know, we're going to, we're going to figure something out. I guarantee you we'll get in some trouble somewhere. Won't we? Absolutely. Absolutely. Always a joy to be with you, Larry. I appreciate you very much. Thanks my friend. Well, there you have it. I told you, I told you this podcast was going to be full and, and boy, he, he certainly did not disappoint. Uh, I love the way he ended this podcast uh, when Arlen reminded us that it's not about us as leaders. It's about those that we serve. It's about building a relationship and pulling people around you who compliment you and allowing them to reach their potential and be who they can be with, with you serving them actually and, and forming uh, important relationships. I hope that you have enjoyed this podcast because I, I really did. It was a blast for me. Uh, Arlen is an incredible leader, wonderful man. That's what we need today. We need men and women who understand that leadership is not about them, but who are committed to serving others, who are committed to building relationships. Because when we do that together, we can certainly make a difference. Thank you for listening. I hope that um, I hope it was beneficial to you, and I hope you'll join us next time as we cross the line in order to make a difference.